This is Fractal Marketing, the podcast for innovative entrepreneurs taking their product to market. Each show, we take an outside look at one company's marketing and discuss the good, the bad, and the ugly. Now, over to your host, Jared Doyle. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Fractal Podcast. This episode, I am joined by Daniel McGowan and Louise Flynn, who work as growth marketing consultants occasionally here at Fractal. And I say occasionally because everyone has a side hustle these days. So, Daniel, Louise, welcome to this episode. What we've decided to do, everyone, is we're going to continue the format, but we're going to be a little bit more focused on particular companies. So we're going to continue this idea of pulling apart one company. And this week, we collectively decided that SEMrush was the target because they're going to IPO. So when I say that, we're talking about a company that generates $144 million in annual revenue. They've got 67,000 customers and apparently have a gross margin of 76%. They've already raised $37 million. And most of their customers are small and medium-sized companies. They've been around for 12 years. I've known them for ages. They serve 143 different countries. And we're going to talk about their marketing. We're going to try to pull apart between the three of us what we think about Sam Rush's marketing. And we're going to have a little kickoff here from me, which is to say, first of all, what drives me insane is their name. Because are they SEM Rush or Sam Rush? And it just... People use both. And if you've got a brand name that people need to use both for, then it's a bit of a struggle. So I, I have an issue straight out Is of the Is this a tomatoes, tomatoes? I, I'm team SEM Rush, by the way. I'm laying that marker down. It's so much easier to say SEM Rush. <laughs> it's just so much easier. Uh, it's the same in, what, CSIRO? People call it CSIRO as well. So that's a double-sided one. Like <laughs> uh, Each to their own, probably. <laughs> Yeah, I, I used to call it SEM Rush because it was SEM, as in an initialization of search engine marketing. And then people started saying, well, that's actually SEM Rush. I look, they've built the brand, good on them, they're growing. I think maybe they could have thought about it a bit harder, but I guess when they started it, they probably <laughs> weren't thinking they were going to become this huge company doing a hundred and something million dollars of revenue. So let's jump over that one just for a little bit. My real issue with SEMrush as an IPO, as a positioning for the company, everything else that they're doing is the fact that they serve not a channel, not an area. They just serve as an interface to Google. And to me, and that, you know, air quote, this is not financial advice, but this is a company totally susceptible to a player, i.e. Google, who has they have no relationship with. So if I'm sitting there and looking at it from Google's point of view, SEMrush simply represents all the user interface tools that we haven't quite supplied yet. So my big issue with the company is how they position themselves. Now, way, way back in the olden days of search engine marketing in the 1990s, when I was just a kid and I had much more hair, there were lots of search engines and a tool that could combine all the data and insights made a lot of sense. But SEMrush now just sits on top of Google. And as a result, I kind of go, well, I've seen so many companies in the same space be destroyed. You know, and the thing that springs to mind is the bid management companies. These bid management companies used to come in and they'd manage bids on multiple platforms. Well, as Google became dominant and as the bidding algorithms and the tools that Google supplied became better, those tools became redundant. And I do have to question whether SEMrush is going to go exactly the same way. So it seems like a really risky proposition to be in that space, particularly around the paid search side. 
you know, so we've got paid search and we've got organic. And so for me, I have a little bit of a struggle sort of getting my head around how that positioning works. The third thing that I guess I want to bring up about SEMrush that I really think about is agencies. And, you know, in their filing, they talk about small and medium-sized companies. And having a background in agencies, I used to find that as soon as a company got to a sufficient spend, they tended to use SEMrush more to audit the agency's work and give insight. So they were using SEMrush much more than the agency's work. And, you know, it's a small performance startup marketing agency that is fractal, you know, the costs are pretty significant. You're like, it's not a small amount of money. And I guess as a final passing shot, I'd point out for a company that serves most of their clients outside of the US, for the love of God, learn how to put multi-currency in because it just hurts on the credit card bills. I'm just going to say that for the 142 countries that aren't US dollars, we would like to pay in local currency. You know, if they could sort it out and that's the bulk of their business, it ain't that hard. Employ someone, set it up and help us out, guys. So that's my rant. What do you guys think about those, those points? Well, for, for starters, right, yeah, like how, for, for one thing, the fact that they don't actually say what currency they're selling in unless you scroll all the way down on their planning and then the first FAQ is what currency is it in? And then it's like, oh, we're in US. And it's like, yeah, no, that's a simple thing to put on a pricing. Like that is very simple to put up the top. But then you're also right. Like if you could, if you could see the, even if you could see the change in currency, depending on what country you're viewing from or what country you want to view from, then you're going in blind when it comes to money. And it's it's not a small amount, as you said. It's $119.95 to begin with. And that's not even including the add-ons. Like, you were talking about agencies. To white-label SEMrush, you pay an extra $100, like, a month. So that's $219 just there, US versus any other thing. What's that Australian? Like, two, like, nearly 300 like oh, um, $2,000 or something, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, something like that. But that's, that's just, just, just it, yeah, and... Yeah, the whole point of them sort of being connected to Google is a really interesting thing as well because, like, as we know, Google can disappear, maybe. <laughs> like, it can get to a point where it could disappear at any given time. So, to sort of put all your eggs in one basket, like, if Google actually left Australia, then SEMrush would have not been able to actually service that market as well. So, imagine what would happen if they left an even bigger area. So, imagine if, you know, like Europe or even the US was just like, nah, no more Google, thank you. SEMrush is like, well, okay, I guess we try to make the same amount of money from the smaller markets that we're in. Yeah, but I'm going to be the contrarian on this, guys, because I think, you know, it's one thing to to obviously de-risk your business by spreading out, you know, how you're integrated and what what your relationships are. But the one thing I like about SEM Rush, and I'm going to keep on calling them that, is that they've looked at the marketing landscape and go, yeah, some of the marketing is getting old and we're not looking to be a platform that supports every type of marketer, brand marketers, automation marketers. We are going with the prevailing wind, which is that, you know, in the next or even in the last five years, all the new jobs are digitally focused. So they've gone all in with the digital marketer. And I think that was a great decision to make because there's no point in, you know, there is a lot of benefit and growth in the automation space, but ultimately where the money is and where the focus is for most businesses is in their digital space and supporting their digital teams. So I don't know, they're doing something right. Yeah, I'd say that's, 
that's partly true. Like, I guess picking one group, you know, digital marketers, but even as Jared said before, you know, they also focus majorly on, on, on agencies, right? So are we saying that they're doing digital marketing agencies only? Like, is that, is that what that sort of is doing now then? I think they've, I think they've basically walked away from agencies. I think they've decided that agencies aren't the biggest part of their market. At least looking at their filing, I think they're going for that end user and they're looking for the clients to come on board to do more of the work themselves. I could be wrong, but I think agencies use it. But I think if they use a tool like that, the problem is the mystery disappears. And so clients look and say, oh, well, I'll just buy that subscription. I don't need to pay an agency $4,000 a month to manage my search. I'll buy SEMrush. It'll do it for me. Now we know that's folly. But I think that's one of the, and I've seen that. I've sort of seen people like, oh, you, all you've done is pull a SEMrush. You go, no, that's just the report. That's not the work. But perception is, is important. And so that SEMrush report actually looks like it's the work. So, yeah. But that's the way you crack open your addressable market. Because if you are targeting agencies, that's a slog. That's a different decision. They're asking for more things. Yes, they're going to onboard a lot easier because they know what you're offering and how to get value out of it. But it goes along with the trend in digital marketing. You know, it starts as something that you need agency. You start dabbling. Then the agencies come through and start offering the service. Then you get big enough and you're spending enough money that you bring it back in-house. So I'd rather be targeting businesses of a certain size that I know are driving their revenue out of digital than I would be targeting agencies. I'd want to split my offering so that I did have – an offering that targeted that larger addressable market of people making their money off digital. Uh, yeah, like I guess that brings on to the sort of a point about, you know, picking your place in the market and, you know, how you affect that market moving forward. Like looking at that pricing strategy, you know, it is very uh, up there. No, no startup is going to be able to afford this to begin with. You know, like they, they have to get to a certain point and more so on your point, Jared, about like, yeah, anyone can buy this. It's like, yeah, good, go buy it. We don't, I mean, it's an agency doesn't have to pay for it, but you're still going to need someone internal or external to actually look at that and be like, well, yeah, like we should do this and this and this, right? We should change these things and, and, and make, you know, make actions based on, on what those reports are saying. And yeah, you, you could probably look at the recommendations that SEMrush might be pushing out. Same with Google, like everyone's pushing out AI recommendations, but sometimes that's not enough. You need that human there to actually really put it all together and put it forward. The main issue that I kind of have with a company like SEMrush, and I, I kind of feel the same way with any comp- big company, is that it goes from startup to scale up to monster in the market. That's the way that I look at it. It's the monster that starts to eat the market. And I don't think with the way that a free market is at the moment, which is technically unregulated, that monsters in the market are good. Because people like SEMrush start eat up little businesses and start eating up little startups and companies that are picking these other niche niche audiences that SEMrush aren't being a part of and then eating up all that SEO anyway. Like So, you know, newer companies are not getting in front of these the, their actual audience that they want who can't afford SEMrush because SEMrush is literally putting themselves in the between them and being like, hey, we're SEMrush. You can't afford us, but uh, here we are. But, Daniel, isn't the true joy of growing any software tool or piece of software to be the ultimate platform? I mean, these guys have just taken what was a scrappy little bit of tools, 
jumped on the prevailing wind. They've added a lot of feature sets to get to the price point they're demanding. So they, they weren't just kind of upping their price because they're high in demand. They've been hammering in feature sets as people have become more sophisticated in digital marketing. And everyone wants to grow up to be an IPO platform marketing. What that does to the digital marketing industry, well, that's another question. But in terms of their trajectory and their marketing, they are in the platform. It's an all-in-one platform. It's all over their marketing. They're offering the full, you know, instead of just that single funky little tool that people used to have in their back pocket, this is an all-in-one where you should, if you're a digital marketer, you'll be in front of this tool all day. It's your bread and butter now. And they seem to be delivering on it and the price point kind of lends itself to that. And and now we're at IPO time where they're really going to look to take it up another level. Yeah, we could, we could always sort of like discuss that. But for me, right, like, and when I look at a company like this is companies like SEMrush and companies like, and I like SEMrush, I do like SEMrush. And we know what, 7,000 different softwares just for MarTech alone that there's so much software out there, you know, uh, and I think that 7,000 has even exploded even more. And every single digital marketer is calling for, you know, software that does everything, you know. But when you're doing things kind of like what SEMrush are doing, like SEMrush, are, you know, even, even their homepage is like what it talks about PPC and then it talks about SEM and then SEO and then content marketing, competitor research, social media marketing, this, 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 like it's cons. It's just it's grabbing at straws. It feels like it's grabbing at straws. Where there are other companies who are just focusing on one thing, and a client will come by, a user will come by, and be like, "Cool, I want something that just does SEO for me because I know my own content marketing research." You know, so I and I feel like you could pay thirty nine dollars for that a month versus oh, if I want the best and I just want SEO, I still have to pay Semrush one hundred and nineteen dollars a month to do so. It, it's just not giving enough people a chance to actually get software that is a, that is actually equivalent to their needs. That's kind of, yeah, where I'm at that one. Yeah. So when I hear that, Dan, and we talk about that giant, that enterprise, that big killer you spoke about in the market, whenever that happens, the one thing about an open market is that it opens up an opportunity for the competitors. So all of a sudden, Ahref turns up and says, hey, from an SEO point of view, we're different. And, you know, as a search, like I, I was first and foremost a search engine marketer and I started with SEO. But, you know, in most agencies, most companies, those two roles are actually divided. Someone does SEO and someone does paid search. And so for me... I pay for Ahrefs because I look at that. That's a tool that I use all the time, first and foremost, as an SEO person. So when you do become big, you do run that risk that someone else comes in at a slightly lower price point with a better specific offering around SEO, and they can take away that market. So I don't mind too much that one company tries to get really big because on that side, I kind of look at it and sort of say, well, it actually opens up an opportunity for a better player. And that's where Ahrefs has carved out that market. They've dabbled in paid search a little bit, but their offering's not quite as good. So look, I tend to look at it as an opportunity rather than a risk. And to your other point around being a platform play and and whether it's the customer or the agency and who's paying, 
I always think about Zero as being the ultimate example of that. Most business owners I speak to don't log into Zero, but they pay for it and their accountant and their bookkeeper uses it. So I do wonder whether it becomes something where clients pay for the tool and agencies and professionals and consultants actually use it, but they keep it as a central resource. Whether that plays out or not, I don't know, but I just it was just something that struck me when you when you spoke about uh, you know that platform plan who's actually paying the costs at the end. Wouldn't that be just the goal for agencies? <laughs> like, uh, if you pay for all the software, we will just tell you, and, and that would be perfect. I think Zero is a great example of that. Yeah, and your point about Ahrefs, like, they're mainly SEO. And you, you, you sort of say that, like, you know, that they don't really do pay, they don't really do anything else. And the reason why they're so good at that is because they focused on that, right? And they might end up getting to a point where they're really competing with SEMrush. But you take another example, that you take Amazon, who is always in trouble <laughs> for what they do with their vendor, supplier, sort of uh, like, you know, monopoly. And, you know, they, they are their own suppliers and their own vendors and they're screwing over. Well, okay, they're not screwing and like you can't sue me in court. They're not helping the little people who are on the platform, you know, like, so it, yeah, to me, it's, it's, it's when a company gets too big. I, I really, in my mind, kind of think that morals and, and ethics play a much bigger part as a company once you start to scale up, because you really do need to consider what you're doing in the market. Yeah, I think the underlying, I mean, just to wrap this up, I think the underlying issue is that when you create an all-in-one, sometimes you create it with an open architecture so that you understand that people are going to use you and potentially pick up other best brand tools to support because they prefer, when you're an all-in-one, you're never going to be a 10 out of 10 on everything. It's just not possible. There's someone else that's just doing SEM or just doing competitor analysis or just doing one aspect of your feature set and they're just going to do it better because that's all they do. So it'd be interesting. They don't seem to have a clear path as to they, they certainly market their, themselves as someone who's taking over everything in your stack rather than someone who acknowledges that you may have tools around them. I could be challenged to, to be wrong, but it's that classic best of breed software stack versus your all-in-one stack. And how's a brand kind of positioning themselves to acknowledge that are they, are they going to go and take the nuclear option and say, you, you just need to use us? Or are they going to build their software experience so they acknowledge that, you, that you're going to use them for 90% of the features and then you're going to have a couple of other cool hacks and tools and tricks that you might use. I don't see that yet in their marketing. I see it's me or someone else. Their pricing is it's me or someone else. And that comes with being a more dominant player in the market. But uh, we all learn the hard way, even the biggest guys, that sometimes you need to learn that they're going to use a wider stack and you've got to be complimentary and, and play, play fair. I like that you said about the sort of, it's not in their marketing right now. We, we all know that the core element to getting things in front of people is putting money behind it, like just in general, you know, like that's the point. That's why paid search and all that is. So with so many different features, do you think that they will really have to be specific in what features they pick to market? Yeah, well, I think they're actually responding to the changes in the job titles of digital marketers. I think that's how they've evolved and that's how they've picked content marketing as their kind of tack on because most content marketing now stems from your digital plan. It's an aspect of it's the roadblock to delivery, right? Of your SEM campaigns, you need content 
And that content needs to also feed your SEO strategy as well. So they've said, okay, well, we're going to take that function because we know, and maybe they've built it off an agency, but internal companies are starting to look at that model too, where they have a guy that's on PPC, they have a guy now that's more driving the SEO, depending on if they're really trying to build a moat or they're just trying to balance out the cost of acquisition. But they're also going to have a big chunk of content that they need to line up with this strategy. And it makes perfect sense to get all those guys basically on the same tool. It makes the feature stretch or the, the, the kind of as it's crept out, it seems to make sense to me that they're just responding as we've matured as digital marketers to kind of divide and conquer and specialize. They're just picking, picking, instead of having the all in one, they're making sure that everyone around the digital operation is covered, whether it's the analyst, the PPC guy, the SEO guy, and now the supporting content, bringing them all into the ecosystem. It's all in one. You're all using the same tool. But now you've got a few more decision makers in that conversation too. So with great responsibility and the platform play comes a slower, slower burn. But I tell you what I really like about them is their approach to driving community. So the awards that they run down here are just hugely popular and it really speaks to a, a kind of an open opportunity that traditional marketing organizations and even advertising agencies are still not elevating digital to the level where people are being recognized for all, all the work they're doing. There's obviously shout outs to campaigns, but so many businesses now are driving all their success off digital. So having the SEM Rush awards that are, are right down here and are localized into different regions is huge. But the winners are across individuals, so practitioners, and they're judged by some huge names, people from Canva. They're getting so many of the local. So I can, I can really appreciate that their marketing's now, at least some of their marketing is turning away from talking about themselves and saying, okay, well, the benefit of being a company that's been around a while now is that you now have a community that can do the work for you. And yes, that could be case studies and testimonials and all that sorts of things, but awards are even better. Accreditation and awards are the way to get people saying, you know, I choose this tool. I'm taking it to my next workplace. I'm a specialist in this tool. And they inherit that from old school technology like Cisco and things like that where you became a Cisco, you know. So I was looking at the awards and thinking what a genius bit of marketing. You know, the more you can balance talking about you versus getting your users to talk about you and not just in the boring case study, use case kind of stuff, but awards and things like that. Honestly, I think that's, for me, is, is kind of a win. What do we think? Look, to me, what you summarize there is really what Donald Miller talks about in his Building a Story Brand book. Absolutely. And it's the evolution of a brand. And so he uses the Star Wars analogy, which I like because I like Star Wars. And so they've gone from trying to be the hero of the story, which is to be like Luke Skywalker. So we're talking original three movies here as in the oldest three movies, just to be clear, because I know that Luke Skywalker changed roles. But Luke Skywalker was the hero, but Yoda was his guide. And by building a community, they get to make all their users the Luke Skywalkers and they get to become Yoda. They're not the hero. They're the wise sage that guides you through the journey, which is exactly where Donald Miller would place him in as a story brand. That being said, 
they've got the luxury of being able to do it because they kind of fought for market share to become the hero early on to help people. So they've, they've migrated. So, you know, if someone's listening to this and thinking, oh, I've got a brand new business, I'm going to straight away get into community and awards. It's like, oh no, that's a long-term brand marketing play. Like do the first thing and bid super aggressively and buy those first customers in. But look, I, I totally agree with what they're doing. I think it makes a lot of sense. The other comment I'd make, and I think you're exactly right, and I want to link two things together here, Lou, you know, the, the one-stop shop for everything, you know, when I said at the start, is it SEMrush, is it SEMrush, and where does that come from? Look, it comes from search engine marketing, like I said, and, you know, right at the beginning, I think what happened was they created a fast brand. A fast brand is a brand where it does what it says on the tin, like Ron sell, right? It's Woodstain. It's Woodstain. That's it. SEM stands for search engine marketing. Anyone digital knows that. So to go on your front page and stick up, oh, we also do social and we do this when content marketing, you go, hmm, no, your brand says you don't. In the same way, MailChimp goes, oh, we do more than just mail. We do, no, you're MailChimp, you do mail. And that's the legacy of picking a fast brand is that, yeah, you get really quick. People get it. It's like SEM, S-E-M, search engine marketing. I get it. But if you pick a slow brand, a brand where you get to turn it into whatever you want, then you're going to be in the right position. So I think they've, I've con- I think they've kind of stopped themselves. <laughs> like they're basically, they're not going to be able to outgrow S-E-M because that's what they are. It breaks some rules in that by now, you're surprised that a big a- brand agency hasn't come through and gone... It's time for the the brand name change. But everything moves so fast and there's so much love attached to that brand that I think a lot of people are going, you know what, people roughly know what, you know, people roughly know what it is. Yeah, I, I would agree. Like, you know, everyone knows the same Russian. And, like, I have negative feelings to the way that they do things in the market, but I, I don't hate them. Like, I do like them. I like what they're doing. And some of their tools are actually really good. But to your statement, you, you mentioned the moat before which to, to me in, in marketing is a very interesting thing. You either create a moat because you want to protect your, no matter what, you want to protect your customers, right? You want to keep them with you. But is that a manipulative t- piece of tech, like play or is that an actual, I want to protect my users against other companies who would take their money and give them a crappier co- like product, right? So someone like SEMrush has built themselves up, created a moat, and now they're like, oh, okay, now we should open up the gates and then maybe start to bring people in and be like, yo, look how great this person is and look how great that person is. It just, it feels, awards to me always feel kind of manipulative because like once you know the back end, you know, like, oh, people can nominate themselves for awards or get their friends to nominate. It's like, yeah, fair enough. So as a marketing thing, I always see it as much more of a self-promotion for the people who are who are doing that. But the real, actually the real point I want to sort of say on this one is, when you sort of create something like SEMrush, like Oracle, like all this stuff, like AWS, like all these companies, and then you make people go through training and certificates and all that, and then even awards, is what you're saying is, is that you're sort of grabbing that person and then not forcing them, but like putting them down a road where they attach themselves to you and it would actually hurt them to go somewhere else. Because it would actually hurt someone who has a SEMrush certificate, who does all the stuff, who knows all that, to go to a competitor because those competitors may have different ways of doing things. And that certificate that you spend all that time getting means nothing like because you just have to now get a new one. Same with Google Garage like or you know all these other different ones where you just 
you get these certificates and then you're attached to that company and it's painful to move. And yeah, so I think they, they could have done it a different way, but they're here now and it's the way that they treat their customers and the market that I feel like will definitely uh, affect them positively or negatively when they really do IPO. And we'll see that once it happens. Right. So awesome, Daniel. So let's um, quickly wrap up. I'll go to you first, Louise. What's the big insight or the big thing you'd like to share at the end of this little episode? Look, I think this is one of the more interesting times to see SEN Rush and, and what they're doing because for anyone who's marketing a smaller business, a, a single kind of functionality software, a small piece of software, this is where you're going. This is where you're heading. This is where you're trying to get to. So having a look at what they're doing now shows you what it looks like to grow up and be a big boy in the platform space. And there's a lot of learnings from that. But I'll leave you with the fact that when you move up tiers or blocks in the Gardner quadrant or price points, all of a sudden you have competitors coming at you from both sides. So you stop being a small target. It's one thing to be a scrappy tool and people are, are, are happy for you to be on the MarTech stack of their clients because you're not going to chew up a whole lot of money or time. But as soon as you become an all-in-one and you start shutting other people out, you've got problems from both sides. So you want to hope that you've built a really defensible message, a really defensible product so that you can take it from the big boys, but you can also deal with all those little scrappy up-and-coming tools that now seem all funky and cool, which is which is what you were about 10 years ago or five years ago maybe. So that's my takeaways. Yeah, I guess the most important thing that I would probably say is that as you're building a company, you either figure out your stream, you know, like you either like, cool, I'm going to – I love end-to-end products. I really do. So if you're going to pick SEM, then you pick that from the beginning to the end, right? Everything that someone needs for an SEM, you should be really good at, especially if your name is Semrush, you know? And to add on all these extra things, like uh, Louise, you say content is sort of where everything comes from and, and it is the, the backbone of SEM. So that makes sense. Competitor research, yeah, like, you know, PPC, all this sort of stuff. But it just gets to a point where I think you can build them into a product like that, like an end-to-end product in SEM, and still be able to add in all these little extra features without having to announce it like you're a kitchen with too many too many things on the menu, you know? So, like, if anything, if you're going to create a company and do end-to-end and want to make $114 million a year, then I feel like pick a lane. I do think eventually companies like SEMrush might not exist in their current forms because... It's, to me, it just feels like a, a, the wrong way to go about all in one. Great point, Dan. I guess I'll just summarize my thoughts on it. One, if you're going to pick a brand name, just think about the future and don't limit yourself. So you've picked a fast brand name. And secondly, really think about your positioning in the market. If you're supplying, if your number one supplier in the market you're operating is one company and that company has an active interest in actually recreating your product and destroying your business because they're the supply, i.e. Google, that doesn't sound like a great place to be in. And my final caveat is this is not financial advice, but I just can't see it's a good investment right now. I think it's a good time for the founders to get out of SEMrush. So I'll leave it at that. Louise, Daniel, thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. I hope we were able to provide you with some great marketing ideas that will really help your business. 
As always, if you'd like to support me and the show, just jump onto iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast and rate and review. Those reviews really make a difference and help me reach a broader audience. If you'd like to connect, the best way to find me, of course, is on LinkedIn, following me on social media, or just connecting. And if you've got ideas for future episodes or you're a marketer and you would like to appear in a future episode, just hit me up on LinkedIn as well. I'd be happy to have a chat. Thanks a lot. And I look forward to speaking with you next week.